I ask you to take your Bibles. Pay attention. We've been going to Exodus week after week after week. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles. I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When you get there, just hold your finger there on verse 1. We will be there, I promise. As you know, we're going through the book of Exodus, and we're not leaving that today. I'm just going ahead and preparing you for the place that we're going in order to talk about this. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, if you're using that pew Bible, it's on page 1,358. I'd like to start with the word this morning, and that word is, and I checked it out, I think it actually is a word, it's a compound word. I could be guilty of trying to jam two words together, but I typed it in, and my spell check told me it was one word. So if it's not one word, you'll, you'll not be surprised, and you'll also forgive me. But uh, guardrail. Guardrail. Now, I know what it means. A guardrail is a rail that prevents people from falling off or being hit by something. I know what its purpose is, to keep us on the road, to keep you in bounds, to keep you safe. Guardrail. I see them in many places as I drive around and as I look around. Uh, I see them on curves. I see them near edges, on mountains. I see them where roads divide from each other. I see them where roads come together. I also see them in many different manifestations. Think about this barrier walls. We've seen those before. Or concrete-filled poles. You know those poles next to ATMs or next to drive-thrus to keep you from running into the building, right? Those concrete poles that are there. There are many more. And their job is to keep them safe. Sometimes guardrails are to keep us safe, and sometimes people put up barriers to keep themselves or something else straight. You know what I've noticed many times? Pay attention to this in the the days ahead, maybe starting today. Those guardrails, those poles, those barrier walls, they get banged up a lot. Have you ever driven past a guardrail? I mean, they've gone to the interstate, and they've created two guardrails on both sides, and they've filled them up with this bow's big barrels of water, and these things that can give in to it if you run into it, and they're just destroyed. You walk by and you go, well, I'm glad that guardrail was there. Guardrails serve an important purpose. Hopefully, the greatest purpose they serve is to remind us that potential danger lies ahead. We heed the warnings that they provide and therefore stay on the path and we never hit the guardrail. You know, the guardrail is there for you to say, there's trouble on the other side of me. Don't get that close to me and you will stay away from the trouble. A guardrail that gets hit is a handy thing, but hopefully we don't have to hit it to allow its importance to touch us. Now, as you know, we're going through the book of Exodus and we have been walking our way through. You know, there was a time, I figured it out this week, There was a time, I think I mentioned to you that I wasn't sure how the Lord wanted us to go through the Ten Commandments. Well, I think we've all figured it out. He wants us to go through them one by one. And I've enjoyed it, and I look forward to it. And and, uh, so today we are on the uh, Seventh Commandment. If you're coming for the very first time, you have hit this. This is the way my mind thinks sometimes. I watch a lot of cooking shows, and uh, one of the ones I used to watch a lot before it stopped coming on was the, uh, was it the Great British Bake Off or something like that? Come on, PBS, I would watch it. And they would always dread pastry week. 
Now, I don't know why they would dread pastry week. I guess it's really, really hard to do. But welcome, you have now walked into, from the Ten Commandments perspective, you've now walked into adultery week. What a week to say, I'm the first time here and I walked in. Do you know I met a couple last week, it's their first time last week, they came in on murder week and then they came back for adultery week. I promise you that we go through all of God's word, but God has teaching us a great amount as we go through the book of Exodus. But let me just quote for you the seventh commandment. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You don't have to go there. It's five words. And then we're going to let that be how we branch off from everything else we do for the next few minutes. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, adultery is defined as sex between a married person and someone who is not that person's wife or husband. Basically, God says, don't do that. It's so sad. You see, we tend to think that it's a big problem today. But the fact that it is the seventh commandment back when God was first revealing himself to his people, creating a nation, he felt the need to put that in there, which tells you that this problem that we're going to talk about today is not just a today problem, it's a then problem. And it has continued to remain a problem ever since, and will likely move ahead. Even in those times, adultery was a problem. Now, you're going, Jeff, I've got my finger on First Thessalonians. You're getting ready to stand us up and read that. Not yet. Hold your finger there, okay? But I am, if you're, if you're a note taker, I'm going to read verses. You don't have to go there for these verses, but if you're a note taker, write this down. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. We're back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, God's Word says this. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman for, to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish that your whole body, than your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, as he did last week with Thou Shalt Not Murder, with adultery, he expands God's expectations. You see, I've defined for you what adultery is by definition. And not only are we not to commit adultery, the physical act, but Jesus' words tells us that our words, our thoughts, are to be brought under the control of God. Scripture says that whoever looks to lust is guilty of adultery in their heart. Do you notice that you don't have to be married then to that commit that adultery? Jesus is opening up his definition, God's expectation. It's not enough, Jesus is saying, that you do not commit adultery as we've defined it. But Jesus goes on and he broadens the topic, creates a higher standard for us to live in. Church, Jesus is saying that impure thoughts, pornography, adultery, fornication, our language, our flirting, online relationships, emotional relationships, 
sexting, whatever you want to call it. They're, they're coming up with new things every day, it seems like. All of these are against God's plan for us as his children. So when he says, you shall not commit adultery, he's saying a whole lot more than you shall not have sex with someone else if you're married. He's going and he's, so when we hear this church, I need us to understand that God is talking about the intimate part of our lives. Married or not married, this is for young and old. This is for single and married. This is for men and women. God's word is trying to teach us and challenge us. And so we're going to look at two or three places to sort of bring this out. I've told you that this is a big problem and God has plans for us, but we don't seem to care. I've got some statistics. It's an amazing thing. I could tell you statistics about what percentages, what age groups, the average length of affairs, the frequency, the income status of those that have them. I could, we could go through how it's online, how it's offline. Church, this is a big, big problem in the world. And it's a big, big problem in the church. But I want to share two statistics with you this morning. Let's start and let's talk about pastors. 30%, now this is from 2019, 30% of Protestant ministers have had sexual relationships with women other than their wives. 30%. 13% of Southern Baptist ministers have had sexual behavior inappropriate to a minister. Did you notice that they didn't say they've committed adultery? They've even broadened it out because we know pastors. And we're going to stick with pastors this morning. Everybody in the room just goes, good. <laughs> See, don't you love it? When we talk about hard situations and sin that other people encounter, it makes it so much easier to read Scripture when we know we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about everybody else in the world. You guys get the tongue-in-cheek nature of this statement, right? Just so. We're clear with each other. But we are going to talk about pastors. And we need to see what God's Word has to say to those pastors. Now, right where we were in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus added some strong words of encouragement when he said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you that even if your eyes or your thoughts are to lust, you've committed adultery. He goes on in verse 29 and 30, and he talks about how serious this is. He says, if your right eye causes you sin, you should be willing to pluck it out. If your hand is to what's causing you, should, you to sin, you should be willing to cut it off. Now, let's be really clear. Jesus is not teaching us that physical mutilation is the answer to fix the problem with sexual immorality or adultery. But what Jesus is saying with these words is that this is such a big deal, such an important deal, that you should be willing to do whatever it takes to put yourself in position to be obedient to this command of God. Whatever it 
text. Now, as I was studying Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the seventh commandment, a word stuck out to me, and you're going, yeah, Jeff, you're talking about the word adultery. No, a different word stuck out to me. I wanted to talk about it for just a second. You shall not commit. That's an interesting word. And church, I want to encourage you, take time to read God's word really slowly. Take time to dig into the words, what they mean, where they've come from. It's very enlightening. But the word commit is a verb, which means it's an action. But I saw two different definitions that helped inform my position spiritually on this topic. The word commit, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means to carry out or to perpetrate. You know the word perpetrate just has a negative sound about it just altogether, doesn't it? To carry out or to perpetrate something that you do. But then think about this too. The word commit means to pledge or bind a person to a certain course or action. Not only is it something that you do, it is something that when you do it, you also bind someone else in it. And so we need to understand as we read a few scriptures here in just a minute that this is not something that is a secret sin. It always impacts someone else. Adultery or sexual immorality of any kind hurts you, the one who does the action. But adultery or sexual immorality of any kind hurts others, the one that you tend to bind up in this problem. As I said, this is not a personal sin. just hurts me. No, this sin, as Scripture teaches, is an attack on God, an attack on self, and an attack on others. And church, you know this is true. You see its impacts all around. Now, I don't want to stereotype here, but let me tell you one of the, my least favorite places in all of Bedford County. Now, you guys know where I live. I, I live in Bell Buckle, so in order to get home today, I'm going to drive down 231, and then I'm going to turn right onto 82 like I were going to Bell Buckle. Well, you know right there at that intersection of 82 and 231 is a gas station, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I've driven by that gas station many, many times over the last nearly 25 years I've lived right there. I call that the drop-off spot because so many times on Fridays or Sundays or other days, I see one car pull up next to another car and kids change cars and suitcases change cars. You guys get where I'm going, right? Now, I'm not saying that that happened because of adultery, but I'm saying that There's a possibility. It always affects others. But I see that, and I don't like that location at all because it just reminds me of the brokenness of relationships that we deal with. And God is teaching us about these relationships, and today he's teaching us through sexual immorality. God says, you shall not miss the plans I have for you. God says, you shall not sin against yourself. God says, you shall not sin against others. And it's about this time you begin to say, Jeff, I forgot my finger on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Jeff, have you forgotten? 
Have you gone off on a tangent? Are you chasing a rabbit? Do you not remember where you told us to go? I do. Hang on. We're not there yet. I promise you we will get there, but I want to point out a couple of other scriptural perspectives. Mark this down in your notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 and 20, 18 through 20, read like this. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but, take a note, church, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, it starts off with a really important reminder. You see, temptation comes, and it says that we are to flee from sexual immorality. Flee, run from it. You can't win. Run from it. You are wired to fail our sin nature predisposes us to fail unless we heed what God tells us to do and God's word says, run. You see, this sin is different than other sins. This sin, Scripture says, hurts you. Sins against your own body. Now, I'm taking a lot of classes and and, uh, some of the men are going with me through this journey and we're talking about a bunch of different things, but you know what happens when we create habitual patterns of choices in our lives, we embrace, we, we inlay them in our minds. They become the way we begin to think, the way that we begin to act. They become habitual. And that's why God is saying in this, you don't want to go there because when you go there, you will keep going there if you're not careful. It leads to so many challenges and problems. You see, then this sin has the ability to hurt a person much greater than other sins. It damages a life in every way, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, your relationships, the impacts just keep going. And God has provided us a guardrail here in these verses. Run, flee, run, pastor, run, is what Scripture would teach us if we were going to help encourage pastors. Don't forget. We're talking about what God's word would say to pastors, right? Don't forget. See, if we start thinking it's about us, our defenses go up. Rationalization begins to happen. All of these things. So, run, pastor, run. Let me show you another verse. You don't have to go there, but write it in your notes. It's a great verse. Proverbs chapter 15, nope, Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. Proverbs 5, 15 through 18 says this, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Now, before we just begin that, begin to say something that God is really against sexual activity, that God is against intimacy and relationships that way, it's just not true. 
God is the one who created it. He is the one who gave it to us. He is the one that instructed man from the beginning to the end that he needed to do that. God is not anti-sexual relationship. God gave it to us within the specific parameters that he provided for us. And when we maintain those God-given guardrails, it's a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing in a relationship. Note what the scripture said, drink from your own cistern. Now we know what God is alluding to, be faithful to the one that you have. But do you know what God is saying? Drink. And you want, Jeff, what are you saying? I'm saying that God didn't say hold off. He said, go for it. Drink. Find the one I've given to you and then allow that to be a gift from me to you all. Drink. God is not against it. God says it will just hurt you outside of the context in which I have chosen to give it to you. Verse 17, let it be only yours, not for anybody else. Verse 18, rejoice with your wife. Again, God is reinforcing this is a marriage thing. 1 Thessalonians 4, not yet. Oh boy, we sure are getting close, okay? But let me take you to the book of James. I want to share you. You can go there with me or you can just write this scripture down. But James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. James chapter 1, verse 12. Just in case we begin to think that there are challenges that we're facing. James 1, verse 12 says this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But listen, church, but each one is tempted when... He is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Let me tell you, God is, this is a process. God is encouraging you to listen. Stay close to me, seek me, stay close to your wife, husband, depends on where you are. Remember, we're talking to everybody. Oh, that's right, we're talking to pastors. But Scripture is saying that this is not something that just happens. Jesus said this is not something that just happens. He said it's a process. He says it begins with your eyes, and then you allow it to stay in your mind, and you grab that second look or that second intention, and you begin to create these things, and you are enticed, which means you're hooked. And the next thing you know, sin has happened, and sin brings death. Our sin will lead us to death. We are tempted by our own desires. God did not tempt us. God's already given it to us fabulously in the right way, in the right place, with the right person. Anything outside of that is not right according to God's plan. When we are led by our own desires, we are not being led by the desires of God. Psalm 37, 4, I'm just going to say this here. God will provide us the desires of our heart if we fully seek him. And remember, I've shared that with you, that this is not, we have desires, and if we seek God sincerely enough, he'll give them to us. No, is if we seek God 
sincerely and fully enough, he will give us the desires that we are to have. So when I read this, God has given me desire the way he wants me to have, and he's given it to me for one very cute young lady in this world. God has a plan. Guardrail. Let God lead you. Let God give you the desires of your heart. Let God help you fight this temptation and walk away. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Everybody's there, right? Well, let's stand and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. You're going, Jeff, I never thought you'd get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 says this, Finally, then, brethren... We urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now, you may sit down, and for some of you that are shaking in your boots right now, this is not the beginning of the sermon. You're going, man, I hope that wasn't one big opening. (laughs) So stick with me, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8, Paul is encouraging the church to do four things, and I'll just point those out to you very quickly. Verse 1 says, Paul is encouraging them to live your life in a way to please God. To please God. If you wake up every day and your desire is to seek God and to please God, if every day it is your desire to live for God and His purposes and His plans every single day, you seek Him out, you look for Him to please Him, adultery will not be a problem. Sexual immorality will not be a problem because God himself who loves you will work all of those things out of your life when you seek to please him. Verses two through three, Paul reminds us that God's purpose is our sanctification. God is wanting to make us more and more and more like Jesus, his son. So we need to obey him. Note in verse two right there, it says, you know the commandments of God. Paul, he doesn't go into big, long, let me re-quote the the Ten Commandments to you or let me re-quote the law to you or let me give you this big dialogue. Paul jumps right into it and he says, you know the commandments. You know what we're saying. Do you know that I do not believe that I have said anything this morning that most people could go, I never knew that. See, we know these things. And Paul is saying, you know, you see, church, our issue is not that, I'm sorry, my issue, the pastor. I keep thinking we're talking to you guys. 
My issue is not that I do not know what God wants or expects. The issue is, is I've not yet taken that to the point of absolute belief. You see, it is belief, not knowledge. It is belief that determines our behavior. What you believe determines how you live. Not what you know. And Paul is saying, you know these commandments. You know what we're teaching you. But he goes on to say, but don't. See, we have an obedience problem. You see, obedience to God is an act of trust. Hang with me here for just a second. You trust when you're obedient to God that God knows best. You trust that when you're obedient to God, that God is not withholding anything from you. No good thing will God withhold from you. And you trust when you obey God that he is providing fully for your good. This is the will of God. So when we are disobedient, what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you in this moment. God, I believe you're holding out on me. And Paul's saying, you know the truth. The truth is, is that you don't obey the truth. And verse 3 says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Is that the only thing Paul's talking about? Not likely. But he chooses that example of sexual immorality to teach them then and us now. I believe that if we will give God control of this most personal area of our lives, that we will likely then give him full access to our lives. Think about the Ten Commandments for just a second. First four were about God. We talked about that, and then we talked about the Sabbath day, and then we talked about uh, do not murder. God's defining how we handle our relationships, and then now God's teaching us to value the most important relationship that he can give us in this world and the most intimate thing in our lives. So we're supposed to live to please God. We're supposed to live to obey God. Look what Paul says thirdly. We are to live to glorify God in verses um, four and five. Possess your vessel in honor, not in the passion of lust. How we live has a direct impact on how we act before others. Our lives either glorify God and draw others to him, or our lives do not glorify God They glorify our own desires, our own passions, and we push people away from God. See, you notice the Gentiles, the ones who don't know God. When we live in such a way that we aren't this person that God wants us to be, we're pushing people away from God. We know that's not not what God wants us to do. So we're supposed to live to please God, live to obey God, live to bring glory to God. And fourthly, he says in verses 6, 7, and 8, We are to live to escape the judgment of God. Remember my definition of commit or definitions? To perpetrate something that you do and to bind another that you take someone with you. Verse 6 here in our scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4 says, do not take advantage, do not defraud. So I went and looked at the word defraud. You know what it means? It simply means to deprive someone of something. 
And Paul is saying, when you live the way you want to live, knowing the commands of God, but not believing the commands of God, therefore your behavior is personal instead of godly, you deprive other people of what I have for them. Now, you could be depriving your spouse and your relationship. You could be depriving your children. Children could be depriving their future spouse with how they go about their lives. But then there's also the spiritual component of this. We are depriving people because our lives are pushing people away from God. We're depriving them of coming to know and understand the love of God. When we deprive someone of knowing God, we can't be living to please God. We're not living to obey God. We're not living to glorify God. When we deprive others, we rightfully make God angry. Think of it this way. God is your father, and as such, he has the right to have the authority in your life. But think of it this way. God is also the father or desires to be the father of others, and God will fight for them as much as he will fight for you. God's not going to allow us to get in the way of others. Verse 6 says that God will be the avenger of all such. Church, this is a warning. This is another guardrail. Paul goes on to say, we've been called to holiness. When we, don't, when we do not live to please God, when we do not live to obey God, when we don't live to glorify God, we are rejecting God by our lives. A pastor's involvement in sexual immorality of any kind is a rejection of God's power and influence in his life. Wouldn't we agree? If we find out that the pastor of your church, that would be me, is caught up in sexual immorality of any kind, do you know the first action this church is going to take? They're going to find the new pastor. Because we have an expectation of what a pastor should do. And I would agree. And I would support that and I would encourage that. But let me tell you, by the grace of God, I don't plan on that day ever happening. This is likely an emotional mistake for me right this second, but I'm, I'm prone to making mistakes. You guys know this. Angela, I believe you're right over here. Would you stand up? Church, I want you to know that I love God with all my heart. I desire every day to seek him. And it is the goal of my life to live faithfully before him and before you every single day that the Lord gives me life. I choose him first, but I choose her next. And church, let me tell you, more importantly, let me tell her, Angela, I will never, to the best of my knowledge and the faith that I have, seek to do anything that would steal what God has granted to us. And I say that in front of everybody here because I want you to hold me accountable. Because see, how I live my life matters.
You're not old, but you're the wife of my youth. There you go, right? And you're going, wow. The reality is, is that if I don't seek God every day, please him, obey him, seek to glorify him, I will never be able to keep my commitment to that precious woman. I will never be able to keep my commitment to you. But church, God is saying, it's not her you need to be making these choices for. It's not them you need to be making these choices for. It is me. And God is saying, hey, pastor, you keep your eyes on me. You do things the way I say. Regardless of what you want, Jeff Rasnick, you listen to me. You shall not commit adultery. God calls us to flee, to seek him. God calls us to stop any behavior that's against God. You see, God can forgive everything. God can forgive everything that we bring to him. Amen? God can restore everything. God can restore everything that we give to him. Amen? And you're going, okay. Feels like we're heading toward invitation time, and I am not taking a step out on Adultery Sunday. So let's reposition this just a second. God is saying, you shall not commit adultery if you seek me, if you obey me, if you seek to glorify me. God's just not saying don't. He's not saying stop it. He's saying do something differently. Here's the encouragement I want to give you. I want every married couple in this room, not to do anything for me, but perhaps God is saying we need to turn toward each other more. If you're single in this room, this message is important to you because God is saying, look at me. I will take care of your future. Live for me. If you're caught up in something, church, I promise you, I will not, nor will I let this church turn its back on you. If you're caught up in something, God says today, it's time to stop. It's time to lay that down. That could be a relationship. It could be a TV show. It could be a language. It could be an app on your phone. But whatever it is, God is saying today, lay it down and pick me up. I will not turn my back on you. I will walk with you. God has been preparing me for months for this moment. I will walk with you, if you will seek God to please him, to obey him, and to glorify him. See, there's lots of opportunities for us to commit ourselves to the Lord today. Some have to do with, I have failed, I need to be better. 
Some are, I have not failed. Thank you for the guardrails, God. I'm going to recommit my relationship. I'm going to recommit my purity. I'm going to recommit whatever God's calling you based upon your life right now. And you're going, Jeff, can this please be over? Stand with me. Church, I want to encourage you to not allow this to be simply, thou shalt not commit adultery. God has so much more that he is seeking to do in those, in those words, in that command, in his scripture. That's why I wanted to give you all these places. If you want to make a commitment today publicly, this altar is here. I'm here. But you can also do it right where you stand with God. And if I can walk with you in any way, you reach out and let me know. Amen.